In conversation with Mads Peter Iverson, this is the Wildlife Podcast. Hey everybody, my name is Jerry, I'm from Wildeye, and this is episode 326 of the podcast. So, I've always had this interest in landscape photography, but I never really had the chance to double down on it, and... I think for a lot of you who haven't done wildlife photography, it's almost like, uh, where do I start? What do I do? So with all the trips, Farbard kind of opened it up for me way back where those the, the icy landscapes, the snowy mountains, it started me thinking differently. And when I eventually got to Iceland beginning of last year, my last trip before lockdown, I then started going into Instagram and following the hashtag Iceland. And there's some good images. There's some great images. And... I kept going and kept going, and the one photographer kept on popping up, Mads Peter Iverson. So I started following him, and his work is absolutely amazing. So I've been following him for a while, and Mike and I would sit in the office and think, okay, cool, when we go to Iceland, use this as inspiration, where's this place, and so on. So a couple of weeks ago, I um, sent Mads a DM, and I said, listen, would you like to come on the podcast? And he said, yes. So... This morning I had a chat to Mads about photography and a little bit of cryptocurrency, but I just love his approach on and how he thinks about landscape photography. So I highly recommend you go and check him out. I've got in the description all his links. Definitely worth it. Hell of a nice guy. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Mads, hey, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. Thank you. I'm so good. Fantastic. Where do you find yourself in the world right now? So right now I'm in Denmark. I'm Danish, so I'm just back home, uh, sitting here doing a lot of uh, yeah post processing and, and stuff in front of the computer, and then I go out and photograph Denmark from time to time. Love it. And then for people listening, so we're going to get into all of this now. But for people listening who don't know who you are, short version: Who is Mads, and what does he do? Yeah, so I uh, have my background uh, in, in Denmark. I'm an educated teacher. I have a master's degree in educational philosophy. Uh, and and then I've just like basically been shooting since I got my degree. <laughs> so just in a completely other direction. Um, and, and yeah, I started out with uh, portrait photography uh, for the first uh, few years. And then I got into landscape photography, which I've done for the past five-ish years full time. And then uh, I, of course, run my YouTube channel uh, based on obviously mostly video. And that goes all the way back to like the start of uh, the zero. So for the past 20 years, I've been doing a lot of video. So when, when did you first pick up a camera? Well, I picked up a camera probably 2009, 10-ish. Uh, yeah. but, but I've already, always had like, you know, somewhat of a view into it my granddad was a photographer and my dad also had his interest and stuff but i was back in the dark room i've never really like worked in the dark room yeah that's that's, that's kind of before our time it's like that's what the the older generation used to do (laughs) exactly when you picked up your camera first were you immediately drawn to landscapes or did you start with something else I, uh, yeah, I, I started out mainly photographing humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, my way into it was actually through the video stuff because I was doing video 
uh, yeah, videos in in regard to when I was doing my gymnastics. I'm an old gymnast, oh, wow. so I, I filmed that all that uh, video stuff in indoor. Um, and then at some point, because back then when you wanted to film in slow motion, you generally had to use like a DSLR. So my first camera was the Canon 550D, oh, and right. it had like 60 frames per second. So in that way, I could get that slow motion feeling. Oh, that's brilliant. Since I already had that camera, it was quite obvious to start using it to photograph. And when I find out how to use a raw file, like I was just sold, like my mind was blown. Like, oh, that's how the professional that. photographers do. <laughs> yeah. we, I, I want to talk about your processing and your kind of approach later on. But was there a landscape moment for you that you thought, like where, where your photography and your vision and your passion met? What was that moment that you thought, I want to do landscape? Um, it was slowly evolving over like some years, but then I decided to treat myself with uh, three weeks in Iceland, just on my own. And that was where it just exploded. Like the, the first trip first, to Iceland. Sorry? The first trip to Iceland. The first trip to Iceland. Well, I had been to Iceland before, uh, but it was the first trip to Iceland just dedicated to photography and dedicated to myself and, and only myself and like... On the first evening, for the first time, I was photographing waterfalls. I got an epic sunset over like the biggest waterfall up there. And I saw the Northern Lights for the first time that just exploded. So I was just like... It that was, was on your first night. Yeah, that was all on my first night. I, I remember when I, I was driving home like three in the morning, I was just like, I, I, there's no way. I can ever experience something as big as that again. I have seen stronger Northern Lights since, yeah, but yeah. that feeling of just getting everything served on the first evening, that was just uh, incredible. Was that your first time seeing the Northern Lights as well? Yes, it was. It's a weird thing. I mean, I saw mine for the first time last year in Iceland as well. And you first yeah. don't know what to think about it because how does it work? And the camera sees it differently. It's an amazing thing. Absolutely. And especially because it was back in 2015. So we were, it was in the height of, of the Northern Light cycle. So it has like this 11 year cycle and, and these years it's quite down. So we don't have as much activity and the Northern Lights are generally not as strong. Mm. They can be, but generally not. So back then, like it was just incredible. Like I, I, I didn't, it was just so weird because I had planned these three weeks in Iceland back then. Yeah. And I hadn't really imagined that Northern Lights would be a thing that I could see. Like the first three nights was just like one bomb going off in the atmosphere like every night. That's what I said. Did, did you, I mean, before your trip that you went to Iceland, did you ever study photography? Did you do courses? How, how did you learn? Well, one more time. Um, did you ever do courses or like, did, did you do a workshop? How did you learn your photography? Did you self-study or did you go do courses and such? Uh, up until then, it was all self-studying uh, via YouTube and websites and, and everything I, I could find, but mainly YouTube. Mm. I think a lot of people underestimate what you can. You can literally Google anything and you'll find it on YouTube. So yeah. a lot of people misunderstand that they can actually learn their photography online. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's what what I did. Like, well, I think when us photographers these days, like we when we sell our courses and and so forth, we 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 just take 
away that time thing that it takes a lot of time to find all these things for free on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And we compress it down to something like very specific. And, and, and that is basically what we take out of it because all the information is out there. It just takes a long time to like compress into like That's photographer. <laughs> Do you think, I'm just thinking about this now. Do you think that, I mean, so, so if I run a course, right? I'm mm -hmm. A lot of that course is based on the way that I see it, especially from a creative point of view. Yes. If you do a course, that's the case. Do you think there's an argument to say that some courses these days are basically null and void because in YouTube, you can follow your own vision. You can, I want to learn more about this and you can, you can almost mold your own path. Do you think that's correct saying? Yeah, more or less. Mm. I don't have much more to add to that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I agree. It's just because I mean, there, there's so many people who they email us, and I'm sure you get the emails as well. It's how do you do this? How do you do that? And they're yeah. looking for A, B, C. And it's not always that simple. There's more, especially with landscape, there's so much more to it. Yeah, it, it's, it becomes very subjective at some point. Like when you have like mastered per se your camera, like when you know how the settings are, when you know how to get and technically optimal photo shooting at what apertures to get the sharpest uh, photo can you do that in these circumstances yeah. so forth then you reach that barrier where you have to cross over into the more subjective stuff mm. where you have to shine through at some point you can't just continue emulating your favorite photographers at some point you have to put yourself more into it and go down a path which is unique to you mm. and I definitely feel because I, I do consider myself fairly young in the field like I have only been doing landscape photography like full-time-ish for five-ish years it, it's where I am right now and obviously when you go to Iceland you go to all the most popular places yeah. those places have been photographed so much and putting your own spin to it like of course you can depend on the weather like yes, yes. the weather's always unique but At, at some point, it's very, very hard to do anything unique. Yeah. So you have to either go explore for yourself, find new places, and, and then slowly you find your own style and what you want to photograph and what you like to do. Yeah. And I'm pretty broad when it comes to style, but mm. I do think I have this, I don't know, over the top, out of this world, fairy tale. That's epic. exactly the word I would use. It's like a fairy tale. It looks like another world. Yeah. So, so a couple of questions. First one. So when you're out there scouting for a location or you get to a location like the waterfall that's been shot five million times, what is it that Mads look for? What, what are you looking for when you stand there? Um, I mainly go for creating a composition that I find engaging. Mm. Um, to, to begin with, uh, I, I did a lot of those, like very strong foreground yeah. and then leading up to the waterfall. It's a fairly classic composition. Mm -hmm. But over the past year or two, I, I have gone a little bit more away from that, uh, a little less emphasis on very, very strong foreground and then put more emphasis on the more unique conditions. Like obviously when I run tours in, in Iceland and I go yeah. there so much, I have a larger chance of getting unique events happening to me. Like the more you go, the bigger the chance, Isn't right? Unique. Yeah. So, so even though I photograph the same waterfall like 10 or 20 times, then at some point something unique happens. And mm. then that's the one photo that stands out. Absolutely. From all the rest. Yeah. I'm looking through your Instagram feed as we speak here. And, 
for the people listening, I will leave this up in the, in the um, description as well. The, the one thing I find, and you mentioned this, that you don't have a necessarily one style. This is, there's, there's almost like it's different, but the same. Because you can, yeah. you can see there that, and whether it's a fairy tale or a passion or a vision that's coming through, it's, it's incredible. The, 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 the story you tell by having diverse things like, this looks like it's in Utah or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then exactly, right yeah. next to it, you have Northern Lights. Then you put a little boat with birds. So, but still, it's almost like I can see there's someone doing something to it. It just, it's really amazing. What if you look at any landscape photographer, or sorry, landscape photograph? What stands out for you? Like when you see any photograph landscape-wise, you think, "Damn, that's good." What what speaks to you? Oh, there's a good bunch of stuff. Um, I. I would like to say that it's something new and original and unique, but that's not always the case. Yeah. I, I can see a really, really great photo of uh, Skogafoss, which is one of the most popular yes. waterfalls in Iceland, and be like, whoa, that is really nice. Mm-hmm. Of course, for the photographer, it has a lot to do with luck and, and special conditions. So it's a lot of different things coming together. Like the, the photographer has made a, a great composition is something interesting is happening in the photo there's some kind of movement some kind of dynamics Mm -hmm. uh and and it doesn't have to be necessarily dramatic and epic but can also be like very stylish and minimalist yeah Um, but but it's it's hard to make minimalist photos without also making boring photos. So so it's it's fine, a fine line. line. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so there's a lot of different factors mm. uh, going into it. Just taking a long exposure and turning it black and white for me doesn't really work. As you know, <laughs> fine art. Everybody has done that. So it is hard because our field is so extremely saturated and making anything new and unique, mm-hmm. you, you depend so much on unique conditions sure. and, and, and maybe also new locations that nobody has photographed before yet not always. So yeah, <laughs> it, it's really so, hard. If I were to say to you, who are three of the landscape photographers whose work you think is just insane? Who inspires you? Um, Ryan Dyer. I would yeah. say he is really, really good. Uh, Michael Shainbloom yeah. also. Uh, and I would probably go with uh, Ted Gore. He's also really, oh, really good. Right. Yeah. Have you and, 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 oh, sorry? Have you photographed with any of them? No, I haven't. I, ha- I haven't met any of them. Uh, but, but I've listened to podcasts and, and seen shows with them and, and stuff. Yeah. They, they are really, really good. And you can more or less say that they have kind of the same style and also the kind of style that I've aspired towards. Is it epic vistas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, looking at this, and when we get to the processing, just scrolling through your images here, it seems your the processing in the final product. Right? I've, I've got this one on screen now. Yeah. Right? So there's, there's a beautiful combination, and not many people get this right as far as I can tell, of sharpness versus like a soft dreamy look is that something yeah. you go for or is it just luck you know what i mean process <laughs> yeah, yeah. it for that because they're sharp and then there's this beautiful dreaminess and i've seen people who try it and you just look at it and you think oh my goodness please take that down 
<laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's definitely something I go for. Uh, it, it is, of course, a process that I have been influenced by and 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 learned over the years. Mm. Uh, in regard to sharpness on Instagram, I just use the app to sharpen the photos. So 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 that's mainly in Instagram. <laughs> right, the, the, the sharpening in Instagram is actually pretty good. It's actually really, really good, yeah. Uh, yeah. Of course, like if if uh, like the final shot I take out of Photoshop is of course sharp, optimally sharpened uh, to the degree that that I like. So when yeah, I get yeah. a big print, of course it's sharp enough. But sharpness on Instagram is like unique to Instagram. But that yeah. dreamy look is definitely something that I have fine-tuned over the years uh, at some point it went a little bit too dreamy then i pulled a little bit back and yeah so the, the balance right now looks amazing i mean it's actually stunning thank you so for people and because a lot of photographers who listen to this podcast are new and up and coming they're trying new things a lot of it is wildlife based obviously we'll talk about that a bit but there's a lot of them that cross over into landscape so mm-hmm. in a kind of shortened version from the moment you sit down in front of your computer with your new uh, memory card what programs do you use? What kind of workflow do you go through? Yeah, it's very simple. I uh, I use Adobe uh, Bridge mm-hmm. as as my main uh, library or browser. Yeah. Uh, and and then I open my photos in Adobe Camera Raw, which yes. is the extension to Photoshop. Do everything I can within Camera Raw, and then I put it over into Photoshop. So I juggle between Camera Raw and Photoshop. So if I have to blend some photos, like in a time blending, where I blend like seven different photos, mm-hmm. then I don't do a whole lot in Camera Raw. I just put it into Photoshop, and then I do all most of the editing there, uh, blend the photos. But if I'm only like having a single exposure, then I usually do as much as I can in Camera Raw before I take it over into Photoshop. And, do you and then do- I finish it, finish it up in Photoshop, save it as a PSD, a PSP yeah. file, uh, and, and then I can save it in different kinds of JPEGs from there. I, I love the simplicity thereof. Do, do you use any other filters? There's all these plugins and like Topaz and Nick. And, do you use any of those ever? I, I have some. Uh, I have a few luminosity mask uh, panels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't use them a whole lot, in all yeah. honesty. It's It's... I use them mainly to make uh, mid-tone masks, uh, but besides that, I just simply use the most basic form of uh, of luminosity mask editing. It's just applying the photo to the mask and then usually on a brightness contrast layer. Super, super simple. Uh, this is something that in, in wildlife photography we see often, but from your point of view, and I'm not talking about people at your level. I mean, you guys are like otherworldly as far as I'm concerned. You guys are like just ridiculous with what you do. If you scroll through Instagram, right, and you just see landscape photography, do you mm-hmm. find that people over-process their work? It happens, of course. Uh, it, I think it happens in all genres, and, and over time you need to, to find out what works for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can definitely remember when I started out. I, I started out in the middle of the HDR uh, yes. way oh back goodness. in 2012, and, and it was just HDR all over. But that was the look that was popular and for a person who has no experience with photography that is what draws you in and then over time you kind of like figure out how it works and stuff so so it's always hard to to define what over processed is mm-hmm. uh, because I, i'm sure that a lot of people out there would define my work as over processed uh, but in the end no matter how these discussions go, it always comes down to the subject. In, in the end, it's your own choice. Uh, yeah. And and 
for me, the most important part in the entire editing process is just to respect the light. Um, okay. I, it, it, it's, it's just, I might make like a fantasy-ish photo, yeah. but if the lighting is off, yeah. then the photo is off. Mm. So I actually heard this really nice uh, definition it was actually from from a painter. I, I saw some painting uh, yeah. stuff on on YouTube, and and he called it stylized, uh, romantically stylized realism. So so it, wow, I think it pointed cool. perfectly because it is this a little bit like you know the old painters back in 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 the nineteenth uh, uh, century. Yeah, they made these a little bit over the top. Uh, paintings because it had to sell and yeah. it was highly romanticized it was like all what we probably today would call disneyfied <laughs> and <laughs> and it, it it's just highly stylized in this romanticist way yes, yes. Um, but, but it still looks realistic mm. because you respect the light and respect yeah. the tone respect the colors mm. so yeah it, i think it's it's perfectly summarizes my own style mm. I, I couldn't we could stop the podcast now we're done that's perfect because <laughs> um, i think the one thing where and this is the interesting parallel for me so in wildlife photography it's much easier so i look at your work and to me because i've seen some of the seeds i've been to these places and i look at it and i think okay that is very cool i want to go see that so it's not always as easy to spot over processing in landscape because of, of this romantically stylized realism I, i'm going to yeah. use that i love that um yeah. but in wildlife photography often so if i take a picture of a leopard in a tree mm -hmm. people then tend to try and pull things and they they, they they brighten the eyes it looks like the leopard has swallowed plutonium it's like just glowing and then they say Look yeah. and i'm like I, I, I remember that from portrait photography oh then it's like wow listen i think you need to just pump the brakes on the, the special adjustments a little bit but so, so in, 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 in wildlife photography, my approach with our clients always is, you know what, the final product I show you is if you were standing next to me when we photographed that cat, that's what I'm going to show you in the real world. Now, am I correct in saying that's not quite true for landscape because of this beautiful phrase, the romantic style? So if I stand next to you at any of these places when you took the image, the final product is going to be way more your interpretation romantically stylized and realistic of what you saw. Yeah, that's an ongoing discussion within the landscape photography community exactly. too, because you have on the other, on the one side, the people who I would say unfairly are called purists, mm -hmm. but it, they, a lot of them can be a little bit hardcore about how they think landscape photography ought to be. And then on the other side, you just have those who go gung-ho uh, with 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 Photoshop and editing, it just pushes the clarity slider to a hundred, yeah. um, and 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 it's just the spectrum that we are in as a genre. Really, there's no right or wrong. But for me, the most important thing is that you just don't lie about what it is you're doing. The the main problem is, I think, in all genres of photography, like. We live in a free world. We can do exactly what we want with our cameras. Nobody has the authority to tell me how I should do or work with my photos. Yes. Like there's no law against it. National Geographic does not have the authority. 
they can choose whatever photos they want for their uh, it's their choice so yeah but i am the one who yeah just have to live with the fact that national geographic is not going to use my photos if mm. i do composites or blend in skies or, or, or whatever but it is important for me that i do not present a given photo uh, as this is how i, I saw it on location because obviously you, you, and you never say that yeah yeah it, it's like that but that's just flat out lying mm. but the problem is that i think everybody who's not a photographer there is a kind of an expectation from society where that when they see a photograph it has to represent reality as yeah. photographers we know all the problems that comes with such a premise for an entire genre 100 but because most people uh, get most of their um, experience with photography through the media And mm -hmm. journalistic photography uh, has these very tight rules and ethics for what is is a real uh, <laughs> photo. Mm -hmm. Then that that of course hits the all the other genres. Yes. And then there's of course also the aspect to it that when we see portrait photography, usually you want that portrait to be somewhat realistic representation of that person. Sure. So, and, and I guess it's the same thing with wildlife photography. Whenever we photograph sentient beings, yes. I think it, it, there is some kind of expectation to how we we see and interpret that uh, let's say a leopard so yep. so you, you you don't make eyes that that shine like a nuclear explosion <laughs> whereas in yeah exactly in landscape photography we are a little bit more liberal 100%. about it it's a little bit broader spectrum and there's always someone who pulls in one direction while others are pulling in another direction mm -hmm. but there is no right or wrong way to do it Yes. But it can be rather heated. And I, I bet that especially in wildlife photography, there is probably a tendency to go much more towards the realistic. Like the spectrum is probably smaller for what is acceptable. Yes. And me sitting here as a landscape photographer, I have, uh, there's no doubt that if I went in and did more wildlife photography, mm. I would definitely also strive more towards the realistic part. Sure. Than, than, than going full on with the editing because it would just look weird, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but, but, but that does mean like uh, I, I have seen a lot of like really nice uh, wildlife photography where it's black and white and, yeah. and it's not like. Hello? Is this weird thing with black and white photography because it's completely yeah. unrealistic? So, but it's somewhat accepted black and white because it has this historical thing like everything was like used to be black and white years ago and all of that. Yeah, exactly. But but it's deeply unrealistic. Yeah. Uh, so so that's also why I'm not I'm not really a big fan of black and white landscape photography. I have seen some of it, which is really really good. Mm -hmm. It's just not something I'm drawn to myself. Yeah. Um, 
yeah. So, so yeah, I think that was a very long and complex answer to, no, to your question. <laughs> the, one, the one thing you said a little bit earlier on was you, you respect the light. Yes. And that, I mean, obviously in landscape and any kind of photography, painting, you have mm. to understand the light. I think the one thing with wildlife photography sometimes is some people get so carried away and especially kind of newer photographers coming in, they hear about light, light, light. And then in wildlife photography, what's very important is to respect the subject because you're telling mm. the story of that sentient being, of that thing, that leopard. Yeah. And I think that's why that spectrum is quite narrow because you can only tell a story. I mean, if I'm going to make the leopard orange and green, it's like, ooh, what? That's not real. But to push, for example, my saturation, instead of having plus two, I have plus three. Those kind of things pushes, but you're still respecting the subject. Yeah. That's and just, um, uh, Respecting the light in landscape photography, I love that sentence as well. It really cuts it down to where it is. Have you ever photographed wildlife? No, no. Well, yeah, I photographed a few seals in Iceland. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they, they have a tendency to pop up uh, around the ice lagoon and along the coast, northern coast, and, and they're always curious. So you can basically just sit down on the beach and, and put on 100 to 400, and you have, yeah, they, they don't care. They, 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 they seek you out. Well, that's pretty cool. So, so mention yeah. 100 to 400. Right now, if you were to go to Iceland, what is your main gear? What what is Mad Shoot with? Uh, right now, if I should should pack my backpack today, it, I would bring my twelve to twenty four f four, yeah, and then my twenty four to hundred and five, mm -hmm. and then my hundred to four hundred. Even for landscape, and hundred four hundred. Oh, yeah, for landscape. Yeah, that's interesting. I wouldn't. Yeah, the, 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 there's there's this. Um, I don't know if it's a misunderstanding, but but it, it's mainly the idea that like wide angle would that be our landscape lenses? Like yeah, exactly. You you will need to have a hundred to four hundred yeah. to take that photo. I I have a similar one where I'm standing in front. Yeah. Um, that specific photo there, if you scroll around, yeah, uh, you have to do you use a hundred to four hundred to take that one too. Sure. Or at the very least, with the two hundred, you uh, yeah exactly. Yeah. You 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 will need to uh, to crop it quite mm -hmm. strongly. So. And what uh, camera body are you currently shooting for landscape? The A7R3 from Sony. Nice. And filters. And filters like filters. And do you use much of those? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, not as much as I used to, mm -hmm. but. Uh, yeah, six stop. Uh, I, I'm 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 only using like the polarizer, a six stop, and a ten stop. And oh, really? yeah, like I, I I really don't use the uh, the graduated neutral density filters. I know a lot of landscape photographers like those, but mm. I just bracket my photos instead. It it's so much easier. And mm -hmm. generally, I really don't like using filters because it's just so. Uh, impractical. Yes. Sometimes you need to if if you want a certain uh, look to your photos, especially around waterfalls and and the ocean. But yes. yeah, so not so much. Huh? What is your next trip? When when are you traveling to photograph again? So one more time. When are you traveling to photograph again? What's your next? That's trip? a good question. It depends on the pandemic. That's, <laughs> uh, so that's why So how long have you now been in Denmark at home without photographing landscape? Um, well, I'm, obviously, I'm photographing landscapes in Denmark. Uh, you can travel around within Denmark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. Entire Denmark has been open all the time. We, we had a, a three weeks, two weeks or something like that, where the northernmost part of 
Denmark, the northernmost region, was locked down. Yeah. That was also due to yeah the pandemic that we had like a problem with minks uh, that ha- had a mutation. Uh, so like oh. the entire mink industry in Denmark was just shut down. Everything was oh, wow. like all minks um, were just uh, killed. Uh, so yeah, that that was a huge discussion back then. But oh, it wait. seems that most people understood why it had. To be done. Uh, yeah. so, so at least we didn't spread that. But that was also just before the vaccines and all that stuff. So we, we didn't really know if it was something we had to do. But at the very least, Denmark should not be a place where a new mutation would take over the world. <laughs> uh, so yeah. But, but besides that, uh, we we are free to to travel all around Denmark as much as we want to. Oh, that's so great. No, no problem there. So I've been photographing Denmark quite a lot that's uh, the the past year, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, but yeah, in 2020, I had two weeks in Iceland before the pandemic and then i managed to get uh, a week in the faroe islands back in autumn so mm. uh, yeah it's, I'm, I'm fine that's awesome i was i was speaking to alistair this morning he's the marketing manager for smug mug and he's yep. in scotland right now and they are literally locked down you can go out of your home to exercise and then come back yeah he, he's a mess you can check he's, he's, he's struggling it's hard but yeah. i think when we end up going back into the world back to photograph back to these beautiful places mm. I think the gratitude we're going to have, and just you're going to see it all differently, which is amazing. Yeah, like it did Denmark, uh, the Danish government has been like compared to the rest of the Western world, the Danish government, I would say, have handled the entire pandemic extremely well. Like there's so much. Uh, like we we are always like complaining inside of Denmark. We we usually oh. joke about this. It's our national sport. Um, but generally we have done so well. So even though our neighbor countries right now here in the middle of March are talking about closing down again because the fear of a third wave, mm-hmm. in Denmark we are talking about opening uh, because we have done so well. And I, f- I personally fear that we have done so well that people have lost the respect for the pandemic. But yeah, that's interesting. But hopefully we can line it up with yeah. getting the vaccinations done. So hopefully that will put a big dampener yeah. on the... Have you uh, had your first vaccination? No, not yet. I, I, I'm one of the last in line. So, so probably not before June. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I think also in South Africa, if I get one before August, I think it's a miracle. It's going to be a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So on your website, I mean, if I look around, there's ebooks, there's, there's tutorials and stuff. Tell me about the ebooks. If people, I'll, I'll obviously link these in the description as well. What can people expect from an ebook? Yeah, so my ebooks are like I'm an educated teacher. Mm-hmm. So and and I have read my fair share of books and ebooks. And and for me, I'm not a big reading person. Uh, I really enjoy YouTube. I enjoy the visual stuff, and that's how I learn. So my ebooks are designed in that way: minimum text and get the information over to people with a minimum amount of effort. So I show a ton of examples uh, with my own photos. So minimum text and and then just a lot of photos. And then uh, I dive into uh, both of my eBooks on composition. Yes. And and the first one is mainly all the basic stuff. And then the second one is like building on top of that. But it's in the exact same way uh, they're built up. Uh, so it's basically just like that's, you know yeah <laughs> one and two that's awesome so, yeah so so it, yeah uh, so there's 10 chapters nine chapters for a specific subject 
of composition. I talk about composition as its compositional tools. I don't like the word rules because exactly. it's, it's not really rules. It, it's, it's more like just, you know, it's different it's tools in tool belt that you can use to tell your story. Mm. Uh, and, and if you see, oh, here is actually an obvious foreground I can use to create some depth. Maybe I can try to incorporate that one. Uh, and then there's, of course, balance. And I also have something about flow in the second one and the, all, all the traditional stuff. And then in the second one, I talk more about, like, should you go vertical or should you go horizontal with your photos and what makes the most sense and stuff. So it's mainly about, like, provoking people to think for themselves when they're out in the fields. That's such a big thing. One of the things that often gets to me when we run safaris is people saying, hey, Jerry, what must my ISO be? Or what must my aperture be? Well, yeah. I can't, I don't know what you want to do. But exactly. I, I exactly. can tell you how to do it. You exactly must... the same thing here. Uh, yeah. It, and it's, it's... For, for me, when I do landscape photography, when I do my videos, I always talk about it and I always try to emphasize how little at the very least in landscape photography you actually need to think about the settings but if your scene is as it is here if there is a big depth in mm. your scene then you need to shoot with a lower aperture i cannot tell you how close down yeah. aperture you need because i can i can't see if you're one or two meters from your foreground or 10 centimeters from your foreground do you even need to focus stack but it, it's a way of thinking that you need to get into if mm. XYZ is, is the premises of your scene, then your settings just have to be like this. That's so it. The, 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 you can go towards optimal settings, but you can never get like, you know, perfect settings. Sure. Is it, it's almost like people, people want the exact recipe, but yeah. I would rather give them the ingredients and let them build their own thing. Yeah. But the ingredients are the important part. So, so the, you, you run photographic workshops as well, yes? Yes. So how just so so a lot of people listening to us here now will be based, they've been on photo safari. So for us, it's going out with tuition in the field, help with this, come back, do some lighting. How would you structure your workshop? What can people who want to book with you expect? Yeah, so to begin with, we obviously all meet up and and then I always do a kind of presentation to get everybody like up mm -hmm. to a certain degree just to make sure that everybody is comfortable with the settings right. and talk about composition and stuff and then throughout the workshop which is usually five full days uh, i can always um, talk about the things i've talked about in that presentation so yes. now we are in a position where we can do this and that and so forth and then when we experience something in the field that i might not have mentioned in that presentation i can take people aside and talk about like okay, if we angle our camera like this relative to this foreground waterfall, where's the background waterfall? What yeah. happens to the midground? Uh, and then especially I talk a lot about like the perspective compression of your scene. So if you have a waterfall far away from you, but a big waterfall, that waterfall is going to look very small when you're using a wide angle. Yes. However, if you move further back and you take a long lens on like 200 millimeter, then you can really zoom into that waterfall, make it huge in the scene. And then because you move back, you can have like a little person placed mm -hmm. between the waterfall and your camera. And that way you can actually show the size of that waterfall, uh, which you usually can't do with a, with a wide angle lens. Yeah. And, and so. during your workshops, do you spend some time with processing as well? Photoshop, yes, lighting, whatever people use. 
Yeah, you, you usually we spend an hour or two on on, on right. processing. It's uh, it's not something I highly emphasize simply just because, well, it depends a little bit on, on the year and how the workshop is, but I prioritize shooting in the field. When people spend so much time and, and, and money getting to Iceland or the Faroe Islands, which are expensive places, mm-hmm. then I want to optimize for yes. shooting in the fields because you can always learn processing when you are back home. But if we are like, if it's a day where you're not going out, obviously we prioritize processing. Mm-hmm. Or if we did some summer workshops in the Faroe Islands and when, when your daytime is like 20 hours a day, yeah. then you're getting pretty tired. So then we prioritize a little bit of editing in the morning instead. Mm-hmm. So in that way, I always strive to optimize uh, to getting the optimal experience. Rather spend time with your camera because that's why they yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I usually don't want to lock the, the, it down to like this is the curriculum. We have to go through this, no matter if we are missing out on great opportunities in the field, because that, in my opinion, would be the worst. I couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't agree with you more. So, so then on your website, there's a there's a tab called tutorials. What do you have in there? Yeah. So, I have some tutorials I've made. Over the years, just some standalone tutorials uh, about uh, composite photography, where I put two photos together, one with an aurora and a foreground, and then one with the Milky Way and a foreground. Mm -hmm. And then I have my time blending tutorial, Mm -hmm. where you basically set up your camera and take a lot of photos and see the scene change in front of you, and then how you blend these photos together uh, in Photoshop. And that's a very complex photo I'm, I'm showing in that one example, just so people can like get everything in one tutorial. So those are then, on your website, are, are they payable or can people just go and check it out? They're payable, yes, yeah. Uh, and then uh, last year I also released my huge uh, Photoshop for landscape photographers from beginner to advanced course, Yes. which just, it took me like eight months to make. Oh <laughs> it was goodness. really, really hard one, yeah. but. The feedback on that has been incredible. Um, so, it as I said, it's from beginners. Uh, so I introduce how I curate my photos and and how I use the programs, my workflow, yeah. and then I have like a big section called tools where I talk about how to dodge and burn in many different ways, how to add glow and atmosphere in many different ways, how to sharpen your photos in different ways, how to focus stack, all those tools that you will need or encounter if you do landscape photography yeah the interesting you want to learn to edit how i do Um, and then i have like now 11 start to finish tutorials where i take some of my more popular photos and edit them from start to finish so Mm. you can always go back to that tool section and see oh now he's using this and now he's so it's very very structured Mm. I'm, i'm looking at the website now so i went onto your website and i clicked through find out more about this course and the one thing that strikes me immediately, because, I mean, obviously, we, we've seen these, we've done some of these things, is your modules. So if we look at the start to finish modules, it's like yeah. 41 minutes, 45 minutes, 38 minutes, 46 minutes. So it's not like you're holding back here. It's not like you're saying, okay, guys, I'm going to do this, 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 and done. There's obviously some depth and value to it. So I would highly recommend people go and check it out. Yes, it, 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 I really do try to show everything uh, yeah. I know when I can. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then obviously, because it's uh, a digital uh, course, I can yeah. always add more to it. I, I mm-hmm. just added an entire new start to finish tutorial, which is completely free for everybody who's already enrolled. So 
yeah, there's just a ton of value in that. Yeah. So for people listening, how much is that start to finish course, uh, the, the whole landscape photography course? The base price is three hundred dollars, uh, and and then uh, different kind of local taxes will be added on top. If yeah. you're U.S., then it's probably just three hundred dollars. Uh, whereas if you're an EU citizen, then you have to uh, apply that to it. Yeah. Uh, no, exactly no way around that. <laughs> sure. I mean, some people might think that's hell of an expensive, but let's break it down because I've done some video course. We've got some video courses for the guys. Mm-hmm. Seven, eight hundred dollars easy. If you go and buy a little tutorial here, you don't have enough. You've got to buy another one or you go buy a photography book. I mean, the value for a one-stop to me, I, I love that. And yeah, I'm, I might go and check it out as well. Looks amazing. <laughs> so, yeah. so Mad, when you're not doing photography, what keeps you busy? What's your hobbies? Ooh, a lot of different things. Uh, I uh, love science. I mm-hmm. love science for many years. I really love history, uh, documentaries. Uh, I've been gaming quite a lot. Uh, I finally took some time to actually game a little bit uh, yeah. over the past half year. Uh, and right now, the, for the past one and a half months, I'm deep diving into cryptocurrency and general world economics just because I've finally started to earn money, so I want to protect those money. Uh, On cryptos, yeah. I've, I've been scratching around with crypto as well. What coins do you think is going to feature in the next year? What, what are you What are you paying attention to? Um, well, Bitcoin is always the safest bet, at, at least for the for the next foreseeable future. Um, Ethereum ought to do better than it is doing right now, mm-hmm. uh, but else I'm. Uh, Quite uh, on 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 top of uh, Cardano Ada, uh, which I think is doing really really well. And then we have like all uh, a lot of like really nice small altcoins. Mm-hmm. Uh, SRK I'm into. Then yeah. I just found uh, one which is called VRA. That one like the usability of it is incredible because it's going to fight fake news and fake views on the social media, oh, wow. which I'm like, yeah, the cleaner social medias we can get, the better. So uh, VRA. Yeah, yeah, VRA, yeah. Uh, and yeah, a, lo- a lot of other uh, small stuff. Mm. Uh, it's good I'm, fun. I'm into it. It's good fun as well. It, it's really good fun. And, and I really enjoy it. Like, of course, it's very easy right now because we're in a bull market. The general yes. tendency in the market is that it's going up yes. a lot right now. So at some point, we will probably reach the top and yeah, it will go down again really, really fast as we've seen the other years. But the thing is that right now, right now in this history of, mm. of time, the, it, it is just so obvious to get into crypto because the, the risk versus the, your return of investment uh, relation is just incredible. It is still not something that a lot of people are into, but because a lot of big institutions are starting to get into crypto, like Visa is getting into it, Mastercard is getting into it, like Elon Musk has yeah, made a big forward. thing when he dropped 1.5 billion in there. I mean, that was exactly, yeah. yeah. And 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 many of the big banks uh, are now getting into it. Um, uh, Morgan, what's it called? To that big. The, the big um, American investment bank, whatever, um, has just offered uh, cryptocurrency to all their most uh, exp- uh, rich yes, uh, yes. <laughs> business partners. So everybody's getting into crypto right now. And 
I cannot see, based on what I've learned over the past two months, that this is not the future. And there's a lot of criticism from the traditional market that they're using way too much power, but it's electricity. It can be green power. So in that way, it's not really a big deal. Uh, and a lot of people are saying that a lot of um, uh, crime is going on. People are hiding stuff. Yeah, but people are doing that with traditional economy too. Anyway. So, <laughs> even worse, actually, because the different banks that are whitewashing money, they, they are uh, centralized. Yes. So in, in that way, they are basically the dictators over the money and the economy, whereas the, it's decentralized in the crypto world. Yeah. You can track all the money going around in cryptocurrency. It's all public. You cannot hide yeah. the transactions in the very least. You can probably hide your identity, but you cannot hide the transactions. Yeah, so the in that way, it's fairly easy to follow them. What, one more time. The, the way that the blockchain um, technology works, you, you can't just you can't just take a little piece out and hide it. It's just not going to work. Exactly. Yeah, mm. yeah. So, so, so in that way, like, I'm very happy I got in right now, mm. uh, and and yeah. So, so I'm simply just like trying to learn a whole lot. I'm I'm feeling the same as where when I got into photography, yeah. I just cannot not watch the next YouTube video about it. And then because of course I I, I have my experience with YouTube videos, it's I do consider myself pretty good at sorting in all the different kinds of information that you get in because there's so many strategies to investing in crypto. Yes. So you need to figure out what works for you. For me right now, I'm trying to find what like what is good in, in the long term, long investment. I'm not doing day trading or no, 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 jumping no. From, from coin to coin. I'm trying to find those coins that ought to do well in the long term because then I can still spend most of my time with the photography. It's a win-win all the way around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Mads, that awesome. So thank you very much for your time. What I'll do for the people listening, I will link up all of your, your website, your Instagram, the courses, tutorials, everything in the description on Spotify, iTunes, and everything else. So people will get hold of you, I hope. Guys, if you haven't yet checked out proper landscape photography, go and check out Mads' work. It is absolutely spectacular. It really, really is. Thank Mads, you thanks so, so very much. Um, maybe Thank one day in Iceland that would be great and yeah, happy shooting Thank you and you too Right, so there you go Like I said, beginning of this podcast all the links to Mads' work his Instagram, everything is in the description so please go and check him out tell him I sent you and yeah, if you're looking for a specialist guide in landscape photography definitely give him a look. Mads, thank you so much for your time. It was great to chat to you. Maybe we'll do it again in the future and maybe we'll meet in Iceland one day. That would be great. Guys, as always, if you have any questions, please send me a DM at Jerry van der all the social media platforms, or jerry at wildeye.co.za. That's G-E-R-R-Y at wildeye, two words with a hyphen in between, .co.za. I would love to hear from you. And I will see you all next time. My name is Jerry. I'm from Wild Eye. Have a good one. Oh.